of evangelism in our church. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. We want to have this calling to share the good news of Jesus continually before us and that we would live it out in our homes, that we would live it out in our communities, that we would live it out in our jobs, our schools, where God has placed us. We are called to get the gospel out. Jonah was given a clear calling to preach repentance to the Ninevites, and he had a choice to make. Uh, would he fulfill that calling, or would he do something else? And, and we know that Jonah ran from that calling. He, he ran away. We have a similar choice to make when it comes to our calling to proclaim the good news to those around us. Are we going to participate, or are we going to rebel as Jonah did? As we saw with Jonah, when we live in rebellion to God's call for us, it doesn't just lead to our own suffering, but it can also lead to the suffering of others. If you remember, the sailors, their livelihood was transporting goods. And during the storm that came while Jonah sleeping in the belly of this boat, uh, they had to throw everything overboard, all the cargo they threw out so that they could be saved from the storm. It cost them deeply because of Jonah's rebellion. But the good news is, is that the Lord pursues relentlessly after his people. His mercy was after Jonah. And so he pursued him. And, and while the, strong, the storm kept getting stronger and stronger, finally it came to the po point where God brought peace to the boats. And through Jonah's repentance, the Lord was merciful. It wasn't just merciful to the sailors, but was merciful to Jonah to provide a fish for protection so that he did not pass. The Lord is indeed merciful to us. Now, whenever you come to, take, to talk about evangelism, there's often a lot of conviction that comes with us. Uh, we, we are so easily distracted from our ultimate calling. And yeah, I, I want us to understand God is merciful even in that. Still, the call is there for us to take the gospel to the world. As we look at chapter 2 here, this entire chapter then is Jonah's response to God in light of all that had taken place in chapter 1 while he's in the belly of this fish. And so I've called the message this. Show me the Savior. Show me the Savior. And, and there are five things that Jonah shows us as we look at the text here. So let's jump in here together. Follow along with me as I read. I'm going to start in verse 17 of chapter 1 because that really ties in chapter 1 and then transition us into chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the reminder, God, that you are our living hope. Father, there's one grave that stands alone. The tomb that you were placed in was, is empty today because you defeated death. And so you are alive And Father, because that is true, we have reason as believers in Christ to have great hope in this world. And so this morning, Lord, as we look at Jonah, I pray that we would see the Savior. I pray that we would be moved by your sacrifice for us. So Lord, would you move in such a way that draws us near to you, Lord. Encourage our hearts. Point us to you. Take our eyes off ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that Jonah shows us is this. Jonah shows us a glimpse of the Savior. Jonah shows us a glimpse of the Savior. Look again at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I talked about this briefly last week, but but there is a lot of imagery of Jesus in Jonah. In fact, Jesus himself compared himself to Jonah. Turn with me here to Matthew. You don't have to turn too far. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to see the Savior uh, comparing himself to Jonah. Matthew 12, starting in verse 39. Let me read, starting in verse 38. Let me read that for us. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So let me ask you, how how long was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three days. How long was Jesus in the belly of the earth? Three days. Listen, when we look at Jonah, and we look at all of Scripture, one thing that we need to understand, it all points to Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus himself said it. We should not look at this. We should not look at the at Jonah and think, oh, this is just an imagery story. This is a made-up story to help, uh, help us understand something. Un- no, Jonah really got swallowed by a big fish. This is, this is a completely true story. Otherwise, Jesus himself would not have talked about the Ninevites r- repenting and being kind of a curse to those who don't repent. They're going to call you out. Like, Jesus holds true and fast to this thing. And there's other imagery in chapter 1 that we saw. You remember, what was Jonah doing during the storm in the boat? 
He was sleeping. Do you know a story of somebody else who was sleeping in a boat during a big storm? Jesus. You got Jonah in the boat sleeping. You got Jesus in the boat sleeping. There's, a, there's another thing that happened. Jonah knew the answer and how to quit the storm, how to stop the storm. Throw me overboard. Jesus knew the answer to stop the storm in him, and, and he quieted it with his words. Here, here's the other thing. We see Jonah sacrificed himself to save the people in the boat. Jesus himself was the ultimate sacrifice who saved us from our sins. And so when we look at Jonah, when we look at this, don't just look at this as a story about God's mercy. It absolutely is. But look at it from the point that Jonah gives us a glimpse of the Savior. We shouldn't look at this and think, oh, that's interesting. What a coincidence. No, it's not. It's on purpose. Look, Jesus said this in Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, what was Jonah? He was a prophet. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you can imagine what the people in Jesus' time thought when Jesus is saying, before anything was, I am. Jesus is the reason why the scripture, who the scriptures point to. It's all about him. Jonah gives us a glimpse of Jesus. Now you might be thinking to yourself, why is Jonah a picture of Jesus? He wasn't all that great of a prophet. Very true. But in reality, there is no one in the Bible anywhere near the perfection of Jesus. This isn't a book of heroes. It's a book of one hero. Christ. The thing is, is Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah sacrificed himself because of his own sin. Jesus sacrificed himself for, to, for the payment of all sin of those who repent and believe. Jesus is the better Adam. He's the better Abraham. He's the better Moses. So when we look at Jonah, we get a glimpse of Christ. Look at verse 1. Again, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Here's the next thing that Jonah shows us. He shows us our great need. He shows us our great need. Now, Picture yourself for a moment being Joseph while he's in the boat and he's, they're coming to him. Why is this happening? What have you done rejecting God? What should we do? And they're like, he's like, throw me overboard. And of course, if you remember from a worldly perspective, the, the sailors were actually pretty righteous. They were doing everything they could to try to save Jonah. And finally, they come to the point where there is no other hope for us. This is our only chance. We've, we've exhausted every other effort so our only hope, Lord, have mercy on us for throwing Jonah in, and they tossed Jonah in the water. Now, we don't really know the motives behind why he told the sailors to throw him out. Was it because he, he knew he was wrong, and 
he, he just did not want to go and repent, or call the Ninevites to repent. So like, you know what, just throw me overboard, just get me done. I, I don't want to live anymore because I don't want to go to them. Was he overwhelmed with grief over his decision and wanted to die? Like he realized that he had sinned against Almighty God and he couldn't bear with himself anymore? Is that why he was good to have him throw it overboard? Or did he truly care for the life of the sailors and knew the only way to stop the storm and to save them was for him to be tossed overboard? We don't know. We don't know the motives behind Jonah, but we do know this. He, he knew that he was in great need for what he was about to face. I mean, <laughs> I wish I knew what he was thinking, man. Was, was, was his life flashing before his eyes as he's thrown overboard into the sea? At some point, the fish comes and swallows him, and, and he realizes, I, I, I don't want to die. So he cries out to God. And in this cry, Jonah knew he was the problem. It was his rebellion that led him to be in the sea. And he knew it. He, he didn't take that moment and cry to God in anger, why did you allow this to happen to me? If you wouldn't have called me to do this, I would have never gotten on the boat and ran from you in the first place. No, Jonah brought this upon himself and he knew that he was in great need. He knew he was the problem. And he knew who his rescuer was. It was God. He cries out from Sheol. Sheol was a term that they would often use for death. He, he was facing death. And he cried out to God for help. And God heard him. Only God could deliver him from his place of need. Jonah may have been a fool, but he wasn't ignorant. He knew that he was in great need. Isn't it true that God often brings us to the end of our rope before we finally see how much we incredibly need God? I mean, Jonah had everything stripped away from him. He had nothing. I mean, think of, if you were in his shoes, you're facing ultimate death. You don't care about anything else. And in, in those moments, often we are, we are able to see clearly, oh my goodness, I have nothing without God. I am in desperate need here. At that moment, in the belly of that fish, Jonah was at his lowest. And God allowed him to get to that place so that he would see how great his need was. One of the things that has been so helpful in my life is when God does strip me down so that I see that all I have is Christ. And, and one thing that I find incredibly helpful in Scripture, too, is that when we see people that we often idolize like we're a culture that does that like we lift up pastors in places they shouldn't be we lift up authors and speakers and we put them on these pedestals pedestals as if they somehow fly higher than everybody else and and, and when I encounter people who are humble and and I see their confession it brings great joy to me and and we often do this to even people in the Bible we, we often look at Paul and think Paul was like this this amazing, perfect guy who had everything together. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So Paul wrote this letter to Corinthians, and, and, and I love it because for me, I can get so discouraged to think, you know, like there are times where I, I find myself in great need, wondering, how could I be, find myself in such a desperate place? I've been a believer all this time, and how could I find myself 
doubting things. How can I find myself hopeless? And that, that's sort of what you get here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. We see Paul saying this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul. Wait a minute. This is, this is, this is the Apostle that wrote like most of the New Testament. Like this is a guy. He's amazing. And what he's saying, guys, don't you dare lift me up. Listen, I've been to a place where I despaired of life. He's doing ministry for the Lord, and he doesn't want to live anymore. <laughs> I don't know about you. That brings great encouragement to me. There are times where it's like, I'm done. Lord, take me home. I'm tired of this. I can't take it anymore. And so I find it incredibly helpful when the apostle Paul, of all people, brings us. But there was a reason. Paul understood why God brought him to this place. Verse 9 continues, and indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but here's the reason why. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, Paul could have easily said that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He could have said that, been justified, but he's like, hey guys, there's power in this God that we serve. He's not just the God. He is the God who raises the dead. God is in the business of raising dead things to life. And that's where Jonah found himself. He was dead for all intents and purposes. In the belly of the fish, in the sea, he had no hope. And the, thing, the same thing is true for us. When we are born into this world, we are born sinners, separated in the bottom of the sea. And we all have great need I find myself often praying for unbelievers that God do anything that you need to do to bring this person to repentance Lord whatever it takes strip them down to nothing Lord even if you bring them to the last thread of life if that's what it takes to open their eyes to you then do so listen salvation often comes with pain that reality that you come to realize, I have exhausted all other things and I am still hopeless. And then we realize Jesus is the one who paid for our sins. And we realize our sin against Almighty God. I don't know about you, that's not like, oh yay, I'm a sinner. It's painful. And yet it's often in the pain where God draws us to himself. I love the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. It says this in that, in that song. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The refining of gold is not a painless process. And neither is the work of God in our hearts to strip us away from ourselves, to bring us to a place where we understand we are in desperate need. And that's what Jonah shows us here. We are like Jonah in the sea with no hope apart from Christ. Look at verse 6, Jonah 2. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, 
my God. Here's the next thing that Jonah shows us. He shows us our insufficiency. Jonah shows us our insufficiency. Listen, it's one thing for us to understand that we are in great need. It's a whole nother thing to understand that how do I meet that need? See, Jonah saw it, and he saw that he in and of himself was insufficient to take care of this need that he was in. Look at it. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. So the roots of the mountain, he, he, he's underwater. He, he's, there's no hope for him. He's not going anywhere. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There's an eternity perspective of, I'm not getting out of this. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. You see, in the water, Jonah was absolutely helpless. There was nothing that he could do to save himself. And so he cries out to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is foundational for all of us to come to. If you want to find hope in this world, it will start when you realize that you are insufficient to meet your need. For many of us, like... We see that we have a great need, but the problem is, is we try to fill that with something else. We kind of have like a, like a, like a food problem. Like, you know how when you run out of food, what do you do? Just go to the store and you get it and you're taken care of. And that's what happens sometimes that we have this need, we have this problem. And so we think, I'm going to pull up my own bootstraps and I'm going to take care of this problem. I'm going to go to the store and buy food. And the reality is, is like, you, you can't, you can't take care of it. You, know, you are dead, and you are trying to put a Band-Aid on your death to try to make you better, and it's not going to work. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's what we have to understand. Once that happens, once we fall short of God's glory, we can never reach it again on our own. Think of it from simple uh, math when you think about some, some of you like math and simple don't go together. It's okay. But think of it from a class perspective. You, you, you take a grade, you get a grade on a paper, uh, nine, let's say you get a 95. How many of you love a 95 in math? You would die for a 95 in math. Like, it's a good grade, right? Is it perfection? No. Can you ever get to 100% that semester if you have that 95? You can never reach it. Here, here's the same thing is true for us when it comes to our relationship with God. Once we fall short, we can never get there. And if we can't match God's glory, then our eternity is in hell forever. We are insufficient to take care of this gap between us and the Lord. You know, in the heart of every person, there is this understanding that we have, we have a need. And we try to seek to fill it with multiple things we try to find the right career for fulfillment and and sometimes we'll jump from career to career to career just trying to find something to meet that felt need i'm curious uh for all of you who have gone to college how many of you are currently still participating in a job of which you started college pursuing a couple i, I started out with math and i realized very quickly nope <laughs> Like, math in high school is easier than math in college. And then I went to accounting. I thought, man, it's too boring for me. I can't handle it. I can't handle sitting in front of a computer looking at numbers all day. I love numbers, but not that much. And finally, I got to ministry. So they're like, 
we, we can do these things to try to find fulfillment. We jump from thing to thing thinking, if I just found the right job, I would be fulfilled. We do the same thing. We think we have this need for marriage. Now, I think marriage is a beautiful blessing. I, I, I sure hope it is. I sure hope you see it that way. But listen, if you are looking to meet a need and you're thinking your spouse is going to fulfill it, you are going to be desperately disappointed when that happens. Newsflash. Your spouse is a horrible savior. And if you've been married more than 30 seconds, you understand that. <laughs> Some of you have tasted and seen the bitter taste that marriage can be. If you've had somebody abandon you. Listen, we have a need, and we are insufficient to meet that need. The need is we need to be made right with God. And nothing else can satisfy it but Christ. We are hopeless to do it in and of ourselves. So let me ask you, what empty pursuits have you been pursuing? Are there areas in your life where you are trying to find hope in something other than Jesus? Jonah shows us a glimpse of the Savior. Jonah shows us our great need. Jonah shows us our insufficiency. Here's the next thing. Jonah shows us the cost of our salvation. Jonah shows us the cost of our salvation. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When it comes to salvation, there is a price to pay. Now, if if you look at the Old Testament, what did the Israelites have to do for years in order to have their sin paid for? What did they have to do? Sacrifice. Year after year after year, we see, we see Jonah saying, I, I joyfully in thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. I have, what, I, what, what I have vowed, I will pay. So they had to have the sacrifice. Now, what do we know about what had to be true for those sacrifices? What had to be true of the animal? It had to be spotless. It had to be healthy. It had to be costly for you. You couldn't just like send your boy out, hey, find the lamest lamb you can, we're going to make a sacrifice. No, he's like, find the best one that you can find. No blemishes, no scratches, no ill, no Ill animals. It has to be perfect. It has to be spotless because it comes at a cost. Here's what we know that Jonah didn't fully know. Notice that we're not making sacrifices anymore. Because there was an ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross who paid the sins that we could never pay for. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that through him we might have eternal life. Jonah sacrificed himself by throwing him in the lake because of his sin. Jesus sacrificed himself to pay for our sin. Our salvation came at a great cost. You've heard me pray specifically uh, during communion often that 
Lord, keep us from growing familiar with the cross. Here's what I mean by that. When we grow familiar, we grow to a place where we're unmoved. And so at times we can find ourselves in seasons where we're singing about the cross, we're singing about the blood, we're singing about our living hope, like we're singing about our hopelessness and then Jesus came and rescued us and we can find ourselves in seasons where we're just unmoved by that. Our hearts have grown cold to being amazed at God's grace. And what Jonah what we want to see when we look at Jonah is be reminded that salvation came at the cost of God's perfect son. He spared no expense for our pardon. This is one reason why we take communion. Remember what the scriptures say? Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Why? Because we forget. As long as we take communion, we proclaim his death until he comes. Why do we need to do that? Because we forget. We forget in multiple ways. Sometimes we're nailing it in life. Right? We all have seasons where we're like, man, I'm cruising. I'm doing pretty good. And we need to be reminded, Ben, you're not, the only good that you have is because of God working through you. Let your light shine so those may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, not glory to you. But we also need to remember because there are seasons when we're not nailing it. When we're getting everything wrong. And we need to be reminded that your sins have been paid for. Ben, I've paid the price for your sin. You don't have to perform because Jesus performed so you don't have to. Don't let the cross grow familiar in your heart. So let me encourage you this morning to be freshly affected by the cost of your salvation. You were guilty before holy God. The blood was on your hands. The evidence was stacked up against you, overwhelming. Video evidence to prove you are guilty. And yet Jesus stepped in between you and the Father. And instead of declaring you guilty and casting you to hell for eternity, he determined through your faith and repentance that because of the sacrifice of Christ, you have been made righteous. Your guilt has been paid for on the cross. Just, just take this in for a moment. Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, was treated as if he committed every sin that you ever commit. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Jesus was declared guilty for your sin. And here's the other thing. Now, God treats you if you've repented truly of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, he now treats you as though you've committed the righteous deeds that Jesus committed. He's declared you righteous. Brothers and sisters, that was not free. Jesus suffered deeply so that you would be made right. Jonah shows us the cost of our salvation. Look at verse 10. And the Lord God spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Lastly, Jonah shows us the mercy of God. Jonah shows us the mercy of God. Jonah failed miserably as a prophet of God. He rebelled against him. His job was to call the Ninevites, and he ran away in a ship in the opposite direction. God could have easily struck him down and said, next. And yet, he spares his life. And, 
and gives him a second chance. But listen, God did not spare Jonah from suffering for his rebellion. I don't know about you, but I don't consider hanging out in the belly of a fish for three days as a vacation. It's not where I'm signing up. I love fish. I love going to, to the ocean and seeing the dolphins and would even love seeing a shark as long as I'm on the shore. I don't want to be hanging out in the belly of a fish. Can, can you imagine what that must have been like for him? Just, I mean, how many of you can't even stand the smell of, like, living fish? <laughs> so you have these dead, rotting carcasses in the, in the body of this fish, and it's rubbing all over you, and guts and all that nasty stuff. The smell must have been horrendous. Jonah still suffered. He, he's in the belly of the fish because of his own sin, but yet, even in that, we see God's mercy. Maybe you find yourself and you feel like that. You feel like you've messed up so much that you've been so distracted that you've allowed sin to reign. And you have found yourself in a mess. The good news for you this morning is there is mercy. If God is merciful to Jonah, he'll be merciful to you. Otherwise, why would Jesus have died in the first place? Jesus didn't die just as an example to look at. Jesus died as a substitute for you. There's a massive difference. He died as a substitute in your place. He's extended mercy. Like he who gave up his only son, why will he not also give you graciously everything you need for this life? That's what Romans says. He's going to give you everything. And so this morning, if you find yourself in sin, repent and then receive God's mercy. There is mercy for you this morning, believer. Perhaps you, you, you are not a Christian. You have not repented of your sin and placed your faith. And maybe you just think, you know what, I am so far gone. You, you don't know the rap sheet that I have. You don't know the sin that has enveloped me and what I've allowed to reign in my heart and there's no way God would forgive you. Let me remind you this morning that whoever repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ, the scripture says you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Believe if you, if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. If Aaron's available, he, he'd love to talk to you. Find somebody to go deeper. There, you are not so far gone that you are without hope. Because listen, we were all born that way. We were all born without hope, apart from Christ. He saves the vilest of sinners. We read from, from Corinthians, Paul. Paul was killing Christians. How many of you, by a raise of hand, have been killing Christians? If God is merciful to Paul, he will be merciful to you. If he was merciful to Jonah, who was running away from him, who did not want to see people come to faith, come to repentance, he will be merciful to you. So if you find yourself off track this morning, repent, receive forgiveness, and then get back in mission. Get back on mission. Don't let another week of unsatisfying activity distract you from the joy of living for God's glory alone. What do we need this morning? We need someone to show us the Savior. Jonah gives us a glimpse of Christ, and when we see Christ, we see our great need. And as we gaze on the cross, 
we are made aware of our insufficiency and the cost of our salvation, that God paid the greatest price for our redemption. And through all this, through Jonah's story, we see that God is an incredibly merciful God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy this morning. I thank you, that, Lord, that we confess our sins. Your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And God, if, if we have truly repented and placed our faith in you for salvation, God, there is no condemnation. And so, Lord, where, where we need to repent, God, reveal that to us. Father, how in ways that we've been distracted, God, help us to see those ways, call us out, and then get us back on mission, fully trusting in your salvation, Lord. Show us the Savior this morning. Keep us from growing familiar. Father, keep us from looking at our neighbors and seeing what's annoying about them. Instead, help us to see their great need. Help us to be reminded of how you met us in our greatest need when we were insufficient, when we were dead in our sins. Give us a heart for, your, for the lost. God, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a couple action steps that you can take this week. encourage you to uh, ponder. First of all, memorize Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Look to the Savior. He's an everlasting rock. And then just continue to read through Jonah. Allow the Lord to put it in your heart. Go deep. Do your own study if you want to. We'll be looking at chapter 3 next week. Spend some time on that, just preparing your heart for what God would have for you. And then a question, do you see Jesus? Are you moved by his sacrifice for you? Perhaps if you find yourself in a dry season, spend some time dwelling on what he has done for you. Not to beat yourself up. God's not here to, uh, to belittle you, to make you feel useless. It, it's, it's more for you to look and be amazed at him and that you would give your life completely to him. Do you see Jesus? And then lastly, give the world what it needs. The world needs to see the Savior. Spread the good news where God has put you. Make sure you're living your life that reflects the life of the Savior as well. The world needs Jesus. Church, let me remind you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.